Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I am Stacy Gilman, and I serve in the Way Kids Ministry, and I'm also a roadie to the band. Cause my my hubby and my son and my son-in-law are part of the band. Proud proud mom. Um, okay, so Matthew chapter nine, thirty-five through thirty-eight. Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dejected, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Thank you, Stacey. Father, we just come to you right now, and we just ask that you help us to see people as you see people. Break our hearts for the things that break your hearts. Lead us in a time of worship. Help us be sensitive to your leading and moving of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, you may have a seat. Well, this is a, the final week of our short three-week series, Prayers for All People, and our jumping off point continues to be 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. But that said, let me go ahead and issue a very happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. Amen. Your, your job is vital. I don't know if you know that. It's vital. Maybe more important than you even know. Like your main job as a dad, listen to me, is not to raise your child to be the star athlete. Do you know this? Not even to be the best person in society. That's not your main job. Those may be good things. Ephesians 6 verse 4 says, Fathers, do not stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That is your main job. And it's a reminder that only way that us as fathers can do that job is by dependence on the Holy Spirit and God himself to do that. And so the task is heavy, but we're relying on God's strength, not our own. But I want to encourage you dads to stick with it, to rely on the Lord's strength, and your task and your work is good. And we're trusting God to do that development in our kids as we raise them and to know them uh, in the knowledge of the Lord. Amen? So pray for your dads, wives, pray for your husbands. And as a reminder, as Father's Day, we get to look at the father figure, God himself. And we come to days like this, like Mother's Day and Father's Day, with a range of emotions, because oftentimes we look at our own parents. And man, maybe some of you had some great dads, and maybe some did not. But in both circumstances, we look to the perfect father. And that's what we're going to do this morning, and look at the God's heart together. And so, so far, we've went through a series, and our theme verse is 1 Timothy 2, verse 1, just simply says, first of all, I urge that petitions, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. What that means is, primarily, we're to be a praying people. That's why I'm praying for this church family, this faith family, for our heart posture to be praying first, and praying more. Praying frequently, regularly, anything, everything, everyone praying. 
And so you can title this sermon for those who are taking notes, Prayers for Others. Prayers for Others. And so for week one, I would quiz you, but I don't think my pride can take it if you didn't answer it right, okay? So week one, we covered prayers for one another. We're talking about prayers for believers, one another's. And last week, if you weren't here, Andy did a great job, who's serving in kids, way kids right now, of the sermon, Prayers for Enemies. I don't know about you, but I've, I was encouraged and challenged by what an enemy was. And maybe you've, you left thinking, man, I didn't realize I had that many enemies. That was encouraging, so I appreciate Andy and his faithfulness to the word there. And finally today, we're prayers for others. And by others, it's simply that. We prayed for believers, prayed for enemies. Now we're praying for others, namely those who don't believe. And so the, the question goes back, and we addressed a little bit of week one of why pray? And there's all kinds of answers why to pray. Why do we do it? But I think that maybe the best answer that I've seen in Scripture comes from, again, 1 Timothy chapter 2, but verse 3. simply says, this is good, and it pleases God our Savior. I don't know about you, but that's a great reason to pray. Because it pleases God. And there's mystery in prayer, and how God works, and He's sovereign, and yet He calls us to pray, and He does things, and there's mystery there that we don't fully recognize, understand, like many things in the Bible. God is sovereign, we are not, so we don't always understand all the complexities. It's likened to trying to fit the Atlantic Ocean into a Dixie cup, right? Trying to understand how God works in all the ways He does. But this is good, but also we see throughout Scripture that God hears those who call out to him. And not hears like, I, I hear you, but go and do something else. But like, hears and acts. And this is a note for dads. This is a very good principle. To actually hear your kids in an intention to respond to what they're telling you. I mean, I've been a dad for 20 years and growing, right? And counting. And I'm still working on this. Sometimes I don't listen well. But take time to listen, because God hears. But when it says he hears, he's actually hearing to move. The psalmist in Psalm 66, verse 17 says, However, God has listened. He has paid attention to the sound of my prayer. Blessed be God, he has not turned away my prayer or turned his faithful love from me. And you see the same thing all throughout Scripture, that God hears, he hears. In Exodus 2, we see God's people, Israelites, were in really bonded slavery, being cruelly mistreated under the Egyptian regime. And they cried out in their distress. They cried out to God because they were being severely mistreated. And it said God heard. And what's interesting, it says God heard, but God had already been working before they even cried out. God had worked to save the Israelite babies, namely the males, from this mass Egyptian-led slaughter. And he saved these babies a lot of them, through midwives. And he saved this one male baby, namely Moses, through Moses' sister and Pharaoh's daughter. And how God sovereignly saved through his plan, through individuals moving and working. That was before the people even cried out for help. And after they cried out for help, you see that Moses is now a man who God calls and commissions to rescue his people from their distress and their dejection as people. And so we see over and over again, God hears. One of my favorite passages in Revelation chapter 5, you see this vision that John gets of 
Jesus, the Lamb of God. And verse 8 says, when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each had a harp and golden bowls full, filled with incense. And it says this, which are the prayers of the saints. This pleasing aroma, the prayers of the saints. And I'm not talking about your Catholic grandma, what she believes saints are. The Bible actually says all who come to Lord Jesus Christ by faith are saints. It doesn't mean perfect. It means you were once declared a sinner. That was your nature. But in Christ Jesus, your new creation now declared a saint. This is good news, that God hears, and it reaches his ear, like I said week one, that we have God's ear. So I don't know why maybe you pray, but one, it pleases God. That's a good starting point. And two, God hears. But what I want us to see as we try to develop this heart posture of prayer is, I want to see today God's heart. Again, we see it in 1 Timothy 2, 2, verse 3 and 4. Again, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And don't miss God's heart here. He wants everyone to be saved. I want to be clear. What God wants and God wills is two different things. Completely different things. I was thinking about this. Like yesterday, I took my kids to this BMX competition. It was pretty amazing. And what I wanted my kids to do is spend time with me and enjoy the event with me. But what they actually did at some level is go hang out with some friends and a little bit of dad and hang out with friends. And that was cool. But today, being Father's Day, what God will, what God wills, what Dad wills, clarify. My kids are going to hang out with me. Two different things. They will do that. And they know it. That's what I want. But God, what God wants and God wills are two different things. But you see, God wants everyone to come to him and provides a way. And I just want to just clarify what saved means. Because I don't think we use that terminology much anymore. It can be a little churchy, but it's a biblical word. What does it mean to be saved? It means you're saved from something and saved to something. What does that mean? Well, just clearly and bluntly, we're saved from God's wrath. And this is what we see. Jesus has this interaction in John 3 with Nicodemus, this religious leader, the Pharisee. And Jesus tells him, For God so loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only sons so that everyone who believes in him will not perish and have eternal life. And he says this, Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. And notice the term already condemned. It means this condition already existed. In John 3, 36 simply says, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Notice the word remains. This means this condition already existed that we have. And I, we don't sing this much, right? We don't sing like, oh God, your wrath be poured down. We don't sing this. We don't sing it. But it's true. It's necessary to see the good news of the gospel. Now, again, dads, if we think about it, did you have to teach your kids how to sin? Right? No! These little sinners come out of the womb sinning. Now, you may teach them to sin a little better, but they knew how to sin. It's in us. That's what Romans 5, verse 12 says. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, namely Adam, in his first sin, and death through sin, 
In this way, death spread to all people. Why? Because all sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we all have God's wrath remaining on us unless he does something about it. And in Jesus, we see the heart of God displayed. That's what brings us to our passage this morning. And as you see the, the gospel accounts of Jesus, we see the heart of God on full display in Christ Jesus. And so it brings it back to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. It says, Jesus continued going around to the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. And it says this, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. I want us to see a few things this morning, and we're going to pause with some prayer prompts here in a minute, because we need to be a praying people. But first, what we need to see is that Jesus slowed down to see. If you notice, Jesus was a pretty busy person, pretty popular. The crowds continued to flock to him. The religious leaders continued to try to condemn him. But he slowed down to see. What I want to ask is, are, are you too much in a hurry to see the hurting people all around you? I think if we're honest, we're far too busy to be bothered with the burdens of others. Jesus slowed down to see. And what's next, point number two, is that his seeing led to caring. See what it says there? He saw the crowds. He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw the real spiritual condition of the people distressed and dejected, troubled and trampled like sheep without a shepherd. The shepherd's main job was to protect the sheep. So what happens when there's no shepherd? The sheep are not protected. Now, if you know this, but sheep are not the most intimidating of the animals, right? They're the most helpless animals there could be. Like their defense mechanism is either to scatter, which they are not that fast, or to gather which just looks like a buffet for a predator, if we're honest, right? Like, that's their defense mechanism. Like sheep without a shepherd. This is what Jesus saw as he looked over the crowds. And there is a predator that we have, which 1 Peter 5, 8 tells us is to be alert for our adversary of the devil is like a prurient lion looking for anyone he can devour. And it says Jesus saw. Jesus saw people needing protection. Jesus saw individuals needing intervention. Jesus saw crowds that needed caring. Jesus saw a society that needed saving. Jesus slowed down to see, and his seeing led to caring. And we have to know this. Jesus was not blind to the brokenness all around him. I wonder, are we? Are we? There's a scary thing that happens. Busyness creates a blindness. If you look past at your back this past week of your own schedules, there's a busyness that we go through that creates a blindness to the people around us. I wonder if we can slow down and start seeing people as Jesus sees people. Again, we see God's heart. Jesus felt compassion. This is a deep empathy. 
like a gut-wrenching pain. Again, dads, I don't know if you've been there, but if you have a child who is in severe pain that you can do nothing about, there's a helplessness that you feel, a hurting that you feel, you experience in an empathetic way what your child is experiencing. I wonder when's the last time we felt this kind of compassion when we looked at the crowds around us, the crowds of people that you're placed amongst this gut-wrenching pain for the hurting and the helpless all around us. I wonder if it's possible that you've become too comfortable to care. Too complacent to be compassionate. And I say you, and I mean us. Again, when I look back at my past week, I've been in a hurry and busy, and there's been times that I've been trying to get to point A and point B and couldn't care less about people around me. That's a problem. I wonder if we can slow down to see people as Jesus sees people and to let the Holy Spirit lead us into a hurting for those who are hurting. And again, you see God's heart in Jesus. The Bible shows us three different times that Jesus actually cries. It's interesting if you look at these. In Luke 19 and verse 41, in a very similar, similar way, it says, as he, being Jesus, approached the city and saw the city, he wept for it. Again, look at all the people he wept for the spiritual condition that the people were in. In John 11:35, Lazarus died. Mary and Martha came to him, the crowds that were crying and weeping. And it simply says, Jesus wept. Again, when he saw the brokenness, when he saw the hurt, and really when he saw the full effects of sin, not that it was a surprise to him, he wept. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, it says this. Speaking of Jesus, during his earthly life, he offered up prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. And many people, which I would agree, seems to think that this indicates his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane in the moments before his crucifixion. And so if you remember that prayer, Jesus cries out, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And the cup is a cup of wrath that God was going to really pour out on Jesus for the penalty of all sin. And so he says, Father, if it's possible, in other words, if Oprah is right and all roads lead to heaven, right? If I obey the Ten Commandments, if you can do that, if you align your chakras, reincarnate enough times, if you obey the five pillars, if I can be good enough or do the right religious thing enough, if those things are possible, then this seems like an awful waste of my blood. But then he says this in his prayer, yet not as I will, but as you will. And what happens? He goes to the cross. Because none of these things are enough. Only the perfect sacrifice could pay the penalty for sin. And so think about this. When he's praying this prayer, he was looking and said, I know the judgment that's coming. But he sees the people. He sees Josh Weatherspoon. He sees you. And he sees the crucifixion that's coming. And all that combined, he's up saying, worth it. The penalty for sin that I'm about to pay, God's wrath, worth it. Because my heart is for everyone to be saved. 
And so we see Jesus slowed down to see. His seeing led to caring. And what we see next is caring leads to praying. Look at verse 37. It says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers into his harvest. Any farmers? Any farmers? I'm a good company near I. I've grown, raised Southern California, never been on a farm. Okay. Don't farm, but I know enough to know what this means. The harvest means that the crops are now ready. Make sense? Ready to be harvested. But the crops are so large, there's not enough people to do the work. But Jesus isn't talking about farming. Essentially, there are people ready to respond to the gospel, yet there's an unreadiness of people to go with the gospel. That's what he's talking about. He's seeing the spiritual condition. And there's people ready to respond, but there's not a people willingness to go. Is that interesting? At least we don't have that problem today, right? No, the same problem remains. The same problem of lostness in the crowds and same problem of unreadiness of God's people. And don't miss this. In this sentence that Jesus says, whose harvest is it? It's God's. It's his harvest. And so then he, he directs his disciples to pray. Notice it's not for more people to believe. Usually that's where we go to first. It's a great point because that's what we see in 1 Timothy chapter 2. is these prayers. And it pleases God who wants all people to be saved. But it's not to, Jesus doesn't direct them to pray for more people to believe. He actually directs them for more people to go with the gospel. Pray for more people to go with the gospel. It's interesting, as I was reflecting on this passage this week, I was reminded I've had the privilege to go to China three different times. And while in China, I was struck numerous times, every time, of the vastness of the people. People everywhere. And as I was looked down the streets and over the streets, all I saw was people. I couldn't help be overcome with the reality of most of the population I was looking at was deeply, desperately lost without Jesus. And make things worse, it's illegal to share the gospel. I mean, I could have, right? I could have stood on a street corner and been arrested pretty quickly. Is that wise? And so it's so strange to feel handcuffed when you saw the lostness and it's so hard to do something about it. I wonder if we ever feel like that here. The difference is we're not handcuffed here. Have you ever gone to Short Pump Mall and just looked at the crowds and see the lostness? Kroger, Walmart, Bed, Bath, and Beyond, wherever you go, if that's your thing. Have you ever paused to see? See people as Jesus sees people and know the demographics that we're dealing with this area is that this area is vastly lost. The area that we are here. This is why Jesus decided to put a church called the Way Church here three and a half years ago. Because there's a need for the gospel to be in this community. Because there's a large population who does not know Jesus. 
Isaiah in Isaiah 6, he sees this vision of God. He sees God in his holiness, his righteousness, his justice, and he sees himself, his depravity, and his sinfulness. But it induces a response. This is what happens. When you see God, when you lift up Jesus, it produces a response in us. It says this in Isaiah 6, 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, Who will I send? Who will go for us? And it says, And I said, Here I am. Send me. I wonder how many of us can pray that. Lord, here I am. Send me. And this is going to be our first prayer point. We're going to be praying Scripture. This is all we do. I mean, who else to dictate what we pray besides God himself? And what we see is Jesus telling the disciples to pray for more people to go. And that's what we're going to pray. With over 3 billion, with a B, people unreached in the world, there's a huge need for people to go. And you may ask, why do we have to go? Why can't we just pray and God saves people? Because that's not how God designed it. He will not save someone apart from them hearing the gospel. Do you know that? And this makes it even more challenging because all the, these three billion, most of them read, live in hard or hazardous places. I mean, think about Iran, Afghanistan, or Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, India, North Korea, China. Hard and hazardous places. So what do we do with that? People need to go. People need to go. So who is it going to be? Well, it starts with us praying for God to lead people by His Spirit to have conviction and an urgency for the gospel to go to hard places. Because that's the only way people will believe. Romans 10, 17. To Faith comes from what is heard, the message about Christ. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for there's a power of salvation for everyone who believes. The only way that people can respond to the gospel is if they hear the gospel. And this is the argument I hear all the time. Like, we have lost people here, no doubt. And we're going to get to that. But the difference is that you're here. There's gospel access here. In these places, they don't have access to the gospel. That's a problem. So is Jesus worth it? Because this is where like parents, well-intended parents and grandparents try to talk their sons and daughters out of going to hard and hazardous places because it's unsafe. And I understand, but where's the urgency at? Like if you're a believer in Christ, you have nothing to fear because to be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. But there's billions of people who are out Christ right now who are perishing every day without Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You know what that means? That no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. So what it means? There's no other way. And so we see three billion people unreached around the world. But here in Virginia, we have a lot of problems, for sure. No problems. We have homelessness, poverty, addictions, crime, broken government, broken homes, broken marriages, children without families, a lot of problems, but it's not the greatest problem. We talked about this weeks ago. The greatest problem in Virginia is lostness. People without Jesus. That is the greatest problem. 
It's been estimated that there's 7 million people without Jesus here in our state. So what are we doing with them? Well, first, we're going to pray. And so we're going to see have a time of prayer. And again, like we've done over the past couple weeks, it's going to be quiet. This silence and solitude. It's going to be quiet for a minute. I'm going to lead us. I'm going to provide space for you to pray as the Holy Spirit leads you during this time, knowing what it pleases God and he hears us. So the quietness of your own heart, just pray how God's stirring in you to respond. And I want to pray in a couple different ways. I want to pray for the hard and hazardous areas where it's hard, but people are worth it. I think about recently that the, the, the earthquake in Turkey that claimed thousands upon thousands of lives. And I wonder, as you saw that in the news, how your heart broke for them, or if it didn't. Because the point of that region is vastly lost. And so those thousands of thousands of lives represents thousands and thousands of people going to hell. I want us to feel the urgency and stop being so complacent. And I'm speaking more to me than maybe to you. But I also pray for God to send more people. So I'm going to lead us through his prayer and leave space for you to respond. So let's just spend some time just praying to the Lord of the harvest to send out more workers. Father, we ask it right now. As we mentioned, to the hard and hazardous places that you send more to China, to Iran, to Iraq, to Afghanistan. Father, hear our prayers. Father, as we think of our own state, the lostness all around us, we pray for you to send out more of your people into these areas to penetrate the darkness with your light. For hear our prayers as we ask you to send out more of your people. Father, we thank you for the people that you have sent and are going to send. Lord, do more. We see the, the vast need. We just ask you to send more people to proclaim the gospel because there are people ready to believe. We need more people to go. So we ask you to do that in our hearts and our minds. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. What's interesting here in Matthew is that here he's asking, he's directing the prayers of his disciples to see the crowds, care, and to pray for more people to be sent to proclaim the gospel. It was interesting when you come to Matthew chapter 10, which again, these verses and headings was added for our benefit to make it easier to read. This would have been one continuous train of thought. Matthew 10 verse 1 says, Jesus summoned his disciples. Verse 5, it says, Jesus sent out his disciples. In verse 7, he says, as you go, 
Proclaim the kingdom of heaven is near. It's the most he asked them to pray, and then he sent them. As we're praying for God to send more, let's also be praying, God, here I am, send me. Because Jesus actually commanded his followers to do this. All who would follow after, after him. Mark 16, 15, he said, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. This doesn't mean like pastors preach. It means everyone who follows Jesus is to go and share the gospel out loud with words. I mean, someone's going like trying to do good things and hoping that people see how good of a person you are and just come to you and be like, Kim, you are such a good person. Tell me how to be saved. Supposed to share the gospel. Matthew 28, 19, which we call the Great Commission, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. So we share the gospel, then we disciple those who believe, and then believers get baptized. And that, you haven't done that yet as a believer, that's your first and next step, baptism. But then we teach to obey. This is discipleship. But the first thing that a believer does is shares the hope in Jesus. Why? Because it's good news. When you have good news, don't you share it? For sure. My family just got free Slurpees at Tropical Smoothie the other day for wearing flip-flops. We shared that good news. That's good news. Anybody play sports growing up? Maybe even now? Still trying to figure out this, this church. Don't watch sports. Don't play sports. For those who did like me, my senior year I had a good idea of being six foot and about 120 pounds to play football. Needless to say, I didn't spend much time playing. A lot more time riding the bench. But I was just thinking about this. As Christians, I think we spend too much time riding the bench. As many of you know, my family and I got into BMX racing last year, and we still do it. But the motto of the BMX racing community is that no one rides the bench. That needs to be our motto as well. No one rides the bench. The urgency is too much. Too much on the line to be inactive doing nothing. We need to be a church that stops going through the motions and starts being a church that is in motion. And this is individually as the church and collectively as the church. Individually meaning God has sent you in the places where you work, live, and play for the advancement of the gospel. What if you leverage and viewed where you work, live, and play by gospel opportunities, by God's put people around you for the hope of the gospel. And in our church, God established his church to be a disciple-making, church-planting hub. Because that's how the gospel is advanced. You're here, hearing the gospel, and believing in the west end of Henrico County because of the faithfulness of a few 2,000 years ago. So we pray. And we go. And we give. And so right now, as a local church, 
We've sent our first set of missionaries earlier this year to Kenya, and we're praying for them. We're part of planting two different churches, one in Puerto Rico and one in Fredericksburg. May we plant more and be a part of planting more and be a part of sending more out. Let us be a church that continues to give sacrificially. I'm talking about financially. Let our funds flow through us and not stop at us for the advancement of the gospel. We said before, there's only one thing you can take with you to heaven. You know what that is? It ain't your junk. People. It's people. Let me take you a step further as we close things down. The people all around you, wherever you are, you are responsible for them. Let me clarify. God saves, but he chooses to save through his people sharing the gospel. You're responsible for the people around you. Let that waken us up to the urgency. People will not come to faith unless they hear the gospel. But there's people all around us that are ready to hear and respond in faith. We see every time we go out with missionaries when they come through here, we go out and share the gospel, and we see many, many come to faith. I wonder if we'll step out in faith to share our faith so people can come to faith. I want to respond. I'm just going to read Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17, and we're going to respond from this. And we're going to close with this. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. But not all obey the gospel. For Isaiah says, the Lord who has believed our message. So faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the message about Christ. In other words, if we reverse this, the saved are sent so that others can hear and believe. And then everyone who believes will be saved. That's it. What we have to see is pushing back the darkness of losses will not happen by way of passivity, but intentional, sacrificial living. When Jesus said it is finished, it means all sin has been paid for. To Telestai. The debt has been paid. Your debt has been paid, but it's only applied by belief. God wants everyone, but only accepts those who believe. Like any gift, it's up to you to respond to it and receive it. As we see with Moses, God rescued his people through a person, Moses. And God still is rescuing people through a person, Jesus. When I think of my own life, God rescued me through Jesus, through a person. A person, I don't know his name. I was in an Air Force Base chapel. I was in West Texas, the middle of nowhere. And he proclaimed the gospel in a worship service, and I responded, and I was baptized. I only know his name. But I came to faith by the proclamation of the gospel through a faithful person. 
I wonder how many will come to faith through you. That's how I want to close. I want us to pray. God, here I am. Send me. And see what God does with that. If we just put our yes on the table, see what God does with that. You want to see God work and move in your lives? Start living in a way that's dependent on him. And there's no better way by sharing the gospel because it's scary, it's awkward, but when you depend on him, see him move. See him move. Give our own little comfort areas and start depending on the Lord and see him work in your life. I told somebody this past week, I wish everyone could plant a church. To be clear, it's not for everyone, I understand. But man, you are so dependent on the Lord because when God, felt, God called us to plant this church over four years ago, we knew nothing. Knew nothing. Nor did we want to ever be a church planter. But it was good is that we were so dependent on the Lord. We could not do anything outside of Him. And so every step, we had to go back to Him. God, we need this. We need this. We need this. And we need this. Then we get to a spot to where things are going pretty good. And you know, our dependency lightens some. Isn't that scary? When things go good, we seem to be less dependent on the Lord. Let us not lose that dependency. Let's remember the gospel we're saved with and let it be the gospel that we go with. So I want to pray for us. We're going to pray. And then we'll invite the band back up and we'll continue to sing. But know that all this is worship. And so even our prayers now is worship because it pleases God. And so we're going to ask, if you don't know Jesus and you're here, and by no, I mean trust. I don't mean like head knowledge, like you know Abraham Lincoln. I mean trust him. Like, Lord, this is my, here's my life, take it. I see that your blood spilled on the cross coming for me. I don't understand all the complexities of it, but somehow, some way, I know that I have been forgiven and cleansed by your blood. And I'm now new in you. No matter what I've done, everyone, past baggage, junk that we've been through, everyone who believes will be saved. That's your prayer right now, if that's you. For everyone else, it may be something along the lines of praying for forgiveness for being so complacent. Praying for a boldness to share the gospel. Praying for God to go before you because he will, to go with you because he will enter your areas where you work, live, and play to proclaim the gospel, to live as witnesses, ambassadors, disciples, makers for Christ. God's glory and for the good of others. So it's, I don't know what God's doing in your life, obviously, but desire for us to respond. And so again, I'm going to leave space. Just a time of quiet for you to respond to what God is working in your life at this moment with the intentionality of this day leading to a new day of being intentional on living sacrificially for God's glory and for the good of others. So let's pray. And let's respond to what God's doing in this moment. Father, you tell us that you are near to all those who draw near to you. Father, we need you. We need you personally in every aspect of our lives. Lord, I just ask you to continue to break down barriers, barriers of any pridefulness that we may have, any, any areas of self-sufficiency,
Break us down to where we know and remember how dependent we are on you, that everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that we do comes from your goodness and grace. Help us to remember the good news of the gospel that saved us. How you loved us and gave yourself for us, even that while we were yet sinners, you died for us, taking our place, the death that we deserved. And because of you, we are now made new in Christ Jesus and have this relationship that we were meant to have in the first place, to know you and to be known by you, and the joy that comes from that. Knowing that we're secure in you, sealed by your Holy Spirit. And at the same time, as we remember the goodness of your grace, I pray that you break our hearts for the lostness all around us, for the people that you created in your image who are rejecting you, but looking for hope, looking for love, looking for security, looking for satisfaction, looking for worth, in every and every other place besides where it's rooted, and that's in you. But may the gospel go forth through us. So lead us in the rest of this day, lead us in the beginning of a new week to be intentional, to see people as you see people and break our hearts with the lostness that we see in the crowds that we're surrounded with. Move us to compassion. Let's all be able to say by the power of the Holy Spirit, here I am, Lord, send me. And whatever that means, it may be your workplace or maybe to Iran. But let's trust you enough to put our yes on the table. For here we are. Send us. May you be glorified in our lives. We pray this in the name of all, all names. That is the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.